Hey folks, welcome back. This is Elliot with the Poor Pros Almanac. I'm here with Andy today. What's my name? Andy, say hi. Am I Andy? All right, he's questioning his existence today. Anyway, one of those days. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can find us on Patreon if you're enjoying what we're doing here and you'd like to help us cover the cost of hosting some of these podcasts. Are they podcast singular or plural? Pod is like the show a podcast or is each episode its own podcast? Technically, I think each episode is its own podcast. I never understood. And I'm 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 in too deep. I'm too afraid to ask. I'm just committed with what I said. I'm sticking to it. Okay. We don't explicitly offer any of our traditional content focused on the specific goals of this podcast to our Patreons in terms of limited access or anything like that right now. Knowledge is for everyone. But we have started up a Patreon-only miniseries called The Prologues, during which we will do some critiques on various subject matters. We've also included some clips of this entire series up on the Patreon as well, so if you want to hear some stuff from all the episodes, go check it out. On top of this content, we've got stickers available, and we're including some footage from Andy's farm, putting the theory we talk about into practice. So if you want to see what's going on over there, check out the Patreon. Any support we can get to offset our actual costs, we fully and wholeheartedly appreciate. So, go check us out on Patreon, and we're also up on Instagram and Facebook if you want to follow us over there. We also have a Discord, and there's a subreddit, I believe. But the, the Discord's pretty cool, so reach out to us if you want to chat with some like-minded folks. In this episode, we're talking with author, activist, entrepreneur, FBI's most wanted. Call him a free radical. Yeah. Not the group, but like actually like a free radical. Yes, a free radical named Scott Crow. He's engaged in a varied life as a co-op business owner, political organizer, educator, and strategist, activist, filmmaker, dad, and musician. For over two decades, he has focused on diverse social political issues and explorations of creating and exercising counterpower to capitalism, power, and unsustainable civilization. He's the author of numerous books and currently runs a record label, which we will have linked in the show's notes. We have a great conversation talking about the relationships between movements, individuals, the, and the focus is generally around the idea of community and how activism often fails to be incorporated into community in a multiple different of ways, and how we have to rethink about what our goals are and how, how we get there in terms of our relationships with both like-minded individuals and people that might otherwise not be interested in having the conversation, even though we might have a lot of aligning goals. And also the concept that goals don't remain static, and our paths of getting and achieving those goals don't remain static as well. And all of those things changing creates this sort of chaos that people try to navigate as if there's some right answer. We sort of, I feel like we address this, we, we talk around it. It's an interesting conversation. Yeah, so hopefully you guys enjoy this. Hi, Scott. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. One of our first episodes was actually talking about your work setting sites. So having you on now almost a year later is really fantastic. So for folks that aren't familiar with your work, can you tell them about yourself? Oh, man. <laughs> Shit, that's a setup. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. I, no, you know, I just have always wanted collective liberation in all different forms all my life. And I, it just uh, it's come in many, many ways. I want everybody to do well. I don't want to destroy the world doing it. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, businesses, co-ops. There's so many things you're involved with. 
Yeah, that's just it. It's been a long time. It's yeah, like, and I, and I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm a blowhard, but not in that way. <laughs> so. Well, I was thinking, you know, I, I really wanted to talk about some of the work you're doing in terms of outreach, not necessarily political, but the idea of like creating dual power and doing it in a way that becomes accessible for people that might otherwise be turned off from the idea of like an anarchist project. So a lot of the cooperative type work you do. Could you talk a little bit about that? I, well, the, the cooperative work started a long, long time ago, uh, probably in high school when I started being in bands, because that's when you start working with people and you're for common goals of things. That was my first experience in that. And then, of course, I grew up in I was growing up in the 70s and the 80s and the 80s when I became, you know, was a teenager and young adult. There was always in the music scenes, there were always like people taking care of each other within those things, whatever the kind of I was in industrial uh, and political music back then and punk rock scenes. But there was all these people that kind of took care of each other, not just interpersonally, but even like business wise. So it just made me think about the ideas of of working together and then how I've learned over the decades that, you know, like no matter how smart I think that I am in a room full of people, there's always great minds thinking about things. And if they don't have the same experiences and things like that, people bring different approaches. And I've just learned to value that. So it just started a journey of just always like in business, whether I'm, you know, starting businesses or um, they've always been kind of cooperative. And cooperative is like air quotes cooperative. It's not necessarily like co-op branded stuff. It's just people coming together for common goals of things. And then I am very project oriented. I've done a lot of I've started a lot of businesses. I've started a mountain of organizations over the years. And a lot of times what I do is I like to, I like to do that and then just let them be what they are and just go on and do something else. Cause it's just whatever piques my interest. And so I just have always found that cooperatively working together and sharing the value, sharing values while recognizing that there are true hierarchies and things because there's experiences and life experiences and, and uh, business experiences and things like that. And, you know, that, that, that have value in them. And so, you know, it doesn't mean you have to give away all the power, but, but how do we get, how do we get it to be a little closer? And then how do we recognize when there's indifferences in that? So cooperate cooperatives in that, again, air quotes kind of way is one of the ways to do that. Now, that said, I've, I've been through many cooperatives. I've been part of, you know, like the, the official co-ops, you know, like consumer co-ops and, uh, you know, agricultural co-ops and worker co-ops. And, you know, I mean, so many damn variants, I can't even count them, but I've been part of all of them, not all the co-ops, but I'm just saying like all the different styles, trying to figure out which ones were the most organic, which ones were the ones that were the most, that really worked to do this. And really, um, and after going through all that, I actually turned my back on most cooperative models, except for the idea that people just getting to together to work together in affinity groups. And I, you know, like in affinity groups is an anarchist term, but I'm just saying like in small groups to work together and then networking those groups with other groups. That's the only way I've ever found that I really like. And right now, like I'm a part of an, uh, an art co-op uh, in an art collective uh, that we, you know, we, we buy and sell art and we install art and stuff. And so, but, you know, we don't, we don't call it a co-op. We don't try to engage in things like that. It's not so overtly political, but it is political in that, in that realm of things. And then also I just started a record label. And even though I am the, you know, ostensibly the founder and the main person in it, I have four part-time people who work with me on it. And I, I value their voices and their experiences. And I listen to them on their expertise about things. It's not like we all have to make a decision on every damn thing. So I just 
again, it's like valuing people for what they, what skill sets and experiences they might bring. Same with me being valued for those things and, and just trying to minimize the hierarchies as much as you can, or recognize that there are power imbalances and that how do you mitigate those things and doing this stuff? Because really, if we don't at a fundamental level begin to take, learn to take care of each other, which is like fish swimming upstream at this moment, because the societies that we live in are so individualized. I mean, it, like capitalism is so crazy adaptable and, you know, and, and so it's in so much of everything. I mean, you know, look at the rise of like YouTube influencers and things like that. Like everybody has their own micro capitalism thing going on, but all our lives were just taught to, you know, basically just, you've got to do good. You've got to go to school. It's never like, how's your school doing? Or how can you work together with your classmates to do things? Like how are you, how in your business, can you guys work together to do things? Like there's never just by the basic idea of trying to be truly cooperative doesn't make anarchists or political radicals special because every fucking subculture does it. It's just something that we have tried to do consciously. And I think that there's a lot of liberatory, what I call liberatory potential in that, which just means that it's, you know, like, because just being cooperative at, at its basic level is just a start because that's what we should all fucking do. Instead of just looking out for ourselves, just looking out for each other and, and looking out for ourselves, not giving the store away, you know, like, you know, just whatever it is that how we, how we can take care of myself and then take care of others at the same time. So in all of these projects, there, there's a common theme where you're working together with groups of people. Where does the difficulty come in and how do you get around you know, starting off with a good idea and a small group of people who genuinely agree and are working towards that. And then where does it get too big and it starts to pull in too many different directions where sort of that individualism, individual desires and wills sort of creep in and, and pull the idea apart? How, how do you get a group together and keep the end goals the same? Because I feel like that that's difficult in a startup because there's so many opportunities for potential and different avenues that you can take. What sort of steers the ship without a leader or that hierarchy that people typically, I won't say typically, but people are accustomed to now that there's always a leader, somebody to lead the way and also take the fall when it fails. Yeah, there's okay. So in so without that leadership, it's culture. You create the culture from the beginning. Uh, that's the the most successful way. More rules and more uh, bylines and shit like that, and more political beliefs doesn't make it more liberatory or more sharing. And the other thing is, here's the truth of it: everything that you start will drift. Nothing can because it, it's dynamic. Our worlds are living in dynamic, right? History is living in dynamic and stuff. So every organization that I've ever been a part of is not the same only in name that they were when when we started them sometimes it's better and sometimes it's worse what i did was i personally just learned to let that go but what i really realized is there's a shift of culture so like uh, I'll, i'm gonna give i'm gonna give a, a not a negative example but one that just had an incredible drift is not even the same it's like the one that everybody knows the common ground collective what we started uh with with people in the communities there and after in the fall of september 205 and what exists today are completely different. They share only a logo and some names and that's and, and, a, and a common history. Before you keep going, can you, for people that aren't familiar with it, can you uh, talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. Uh, the Common Ground Collective was the largest anarchist inspired movement or organization in modern U.S. history. 
I mean, that's the, that I'm not even trying to brag in saying that it was an accident that it happened, that it got to be, there were some conscious things, but it just grew into this large container. And so, it, whereas like most collectives or most groups start around a particular issue or thing, we came into a disaster based on the, the his, these histories that had gone on for a long time before us, anarchist histories, even Black Panther histories, not necessarily anarchists and Spanish anarchists. I took them and we began to, instead of just working on one thing, like after in a disaster saying, well, we're going to feed people or we're just going to work on housing or do these things. We said, let's do it all, everything we didn't have any money so let's just do this let's because fuck it it's all fucked up i mean the government government's failing nonprofits are failing let's just try to do it so what we did was and we started three people and then you know the first three or four years we had twenty eight thousand people come through and we did 150 different kinds of projects art projects schools free schools opened up schools and we used direct action to do things that would be considered illegal but they were they were ethically correct to do. And so we were willing to face against the police to do things. I and mean, it was armed self-defense. It was everything. So so that's kind of what the Common Ground Collective did. But it morphed as it kept going. And, you know, after the first three years, the liberatory revolutionary zeal just kind of went out of it, which was OK. We were all exhausted and sick and, and all this stuff anyway. And it had just so many people were coming and going. Um, it was just hard and, you know, FBI infiltration, all that stuff. But anyway, so common ground, that's kind of what that was. But the drift was so deep and so wide that even after four years, it didn't even look like the same organization. It had just turned into a traditional nonprofit, which was OK. Again, it still served people and was doing its things. But the liberatory potential had just just evaporated. So that's kind of I want to say it's a challenging example. OK, not a ne necessarily a negative example, but a lot of negatives in it. But there's some positives that came out of it. And, and the thing is, the list of things that, that the Common Ground Collective did I just too long to fucking to, to even list here. You can, somebody else have to look. There's a, I mean, literally hundreds and hundreds of projects we did with no money. We also raised $3 million for a dirty anarchist. That was pretty good at the time. Right. But I think, you, know? you I think you did answer my question just to, let me try it. And so, so here's an example of, of how it, how we're, where it didn't drift. And, and so I worked at, um, I, uh, I joined this anarchist recycling collective called Ecology Action. It had started in 1970 as an anarchist collective, and then it turned into a nonprofit. And by the time I came back into it in 2006, it had turned back into an anarchist, anarchist collective. They'd fired the boss and started to run it. But they didn't have, they brought me in because they had never really done the cooperative stuff and all that. So I was brought in to do that. Now, you know, I, I was like, all right, well, we'll just do all the books and things like that. And we'll, we'll have better meetings and all the all the things that you think you would do here's the mechanical things to do we'll have better bylines and stuff like that but what i realized after being there you know i worked there for six years i'm mean, talking about like driving a forklift and all this stuff with everybody we did everything you know we would go visit the you know the muckety mucks and then we were also you know dealing with trash and human feces and so no matter how much we put in the books it was really the culture that really transcended pe the the personalities that would come and go and so what we did it was like when you know because really to 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 have a good cooperative or a good collective you want to have a, a common set of values because each of you if you've got 10 values each and they're not even crossing over that much and then i have 10 values well we have to see where we cross over if we only have three or two each sure maybe that's good for a project but that might not be good for long-term living so this is important to think about. So we would come up with these ethics, uh, you know, guiding principles of how we'd want to do it. But every time somebody would leave and some new person would come in, we would hire in a new person, we'd revisit them 
to see if these values still made sense to everybody. And, 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 and then occasionally we would just go back in and check in to say, look, is this still making sense to everybody? So that it didn't just become oppressive ideas. And for, in that way, it turned out to, that for a long time, we were able to keep these things going as long as we kept, as long as we realize it's living a dynamic. So even if I had an idea the way it was, was at the, when I first came, well, in the, in the few years after it was a different thing, but it was still good. You know, I left, it was one of the best collectives I'd ever been a part of and one of the worst jobs I'd ever had. And, you know, it was just hard. It was just a hard job. And so that was a, a way. So what I, I am a true believer of now is culture. Like, it's, you know, like I, I'll give you a super negative example is the IWW, the Inter, uh, International, uh, sorry, Industrial Workers of the World. They, uh, you know, they've been around a long time and they have a lot of bylaws, pages and books and books of bylaws. But all of those, all these mechanics of their meetings and how people are supposed to be brought in and stuff has never made them have healthy collectives, never made it a healthy movement. And all the 40 years I have known about it and all the variations that have gone on with it is never made. And so that's an example where bureaucracy doesn't make it better. The other thing I would look towards is the Mondragon models in, in Spain. Uh, the, and then um, they, you know, this is something I actually used in worker models a lot because it's, it's, a, it's a series of 500 worker co-ops under a larger umbrella. They have their own healthcare systems, their own roadways, their own everything. They control it all. They're their own policing and all this stuff. And so in that, um, one of the things that they learned, which I carried with, is that no organization can be bigger than 500 members because then bureaucracy starts to take over. And bureaucracy is as big of an enemy as much as uh, naivety is in, in my opinion about this kind of stuff. Yeah, that was actually gonna be my next question is in your experiences, if there was a cap on where it seems like things start to fall apart. Well, I think I think that just for, for, for small groups, uh, it really is, it can't be larger than 15 people or 20 people. I mean, I really would go back to some of the, the affinity group models. It's like six to 12 people and things like that. It just it just starts to have a lot of drift. One, because most of the collectives, you know, I'm using when I say all these words, these are buzzwords, co-ops, it's all air quotes. So so but but none of us have been brought up in it. And then most of the ones that we want to form, it's with people we don't know especially in activist subculture or in political subcultures, we're like, oh, you're an anarchist. Well, let's form this cooperative. But I don't know you from anybody. I don't know your history. I don't know how you got there or anything. And, and, and maybe if I do, I might know one or two people, but I'm not going to know all 20 or 30 people in that. And so now you're going to try to build common dreams based on these very vague values uh, ethical values, it's kind of, it gets difficult. And I think it's not really, I think it's unrealistic for us to keep doing it. So especially if you try to rigidify it, if you try to make it something that is very like, this is the way it is. These are our, these are our 10 values. And if you fall out of that, you're, you're just, you know, then it's microaggressions and stuff like that, you know? Right. So, yeah. You don't see so, that at all. So it starts to lead to all these things. Yeah. And again, you know, like just, let me say like all of this shit is just my experiences. Like I'm definitely not a person that is like, I just had a lot of experiences with it, but I don't have a lot. You know, like, I'm not a big thinker about stuff like that. It's just like more like, I, I think um, Kwame Ture said a long time ago, just do the stuff and then figure out the ideologies later. And I was like, I've always used that, you know? Right. So I'm telling you, just, it's just reflections. Yeah. You know? That's right. how we started this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For years, I didn't real. I, I always thought of myself as not really being political, especially not a political activist, but constantly with 
social media and personal interactions and things like that, political views do come up in conversation. And I have to tell people how I feel and worry about starting an argument. And it's not so much an argument that I want to have. It's to get across the concept that you just explained with those examples. And that's once a system gets too big, it has so much drift that your individual answers and your individual desires can't possibly be met along with everybody else's at the same time. Agreed 100%. My personal experiences. Yeah. That's something that we need to address and think about the system that we have, the whole bipartisan party and everything like that. It's all in place to be perpetual, just a perpetual argument. And I'm, we're putting this podcast together because we're trying to figure out how to take the information we have and use it in that self-determination way, in that liberating way where we don't have to rely on the system that we have. And that's kind of why we talk about collapse and all of these things, because it, it can't sustain itself now. So we're working on putting together how to free ourselves from it. And I think those two examples are very important to keep in mind is we constantly regress back into this state of tribalism where that's exactly what those small groups are is people who have sort of formed a small tribe and rather usually on shared experience on shared experience yeah. right and rather than trying to fight that or exclude that from the process of creating community why should why wouldn't we use that to our advantage and create all of those small groups and see if we can get them to cohesively either work together or yeah, confederalize you know, or whatever right, however do, you do whatever they need to do right well, even in, but okay, so here's two examples I would give you that I often use and that I think that help to illustrate this. So, you know, like a forest, every forest in all over the world has similar elements to it, right? The flora and fauna is very similar, even if they are different, completely different kinds of forests. They have similar foundations to them. From, from outer space, when you look at the earth, you're like, oh, there's just forest in between the water, okay? But then we know that a forest in Sumatra is different than a forest on the east coast of the United States. We know that they're totally different, but they have the same foundations to it. Well, why wouldn't we build organizations and why wouldn't we build movements like that, that, that have these liberatory sets of ideas that are not ideology which is rigidified and, and says that this is this becomes becomes belief systems i am not an i don't believe in anarchism i'm an anarch i i only call myself an anarchist in short term because it was shocking for fucking 20 years right. i just done it knew it you know but now but so so i want anarchy i mean that's the truth i'm not even trying to be like post left and all that stuff i mean like but i'm telling you like i want to deal with people who want to come to these things because we have common shared values because they'll last a lot longer in that. And so the forest analogy is one. And the other one I use is that, you know, like, what if what if each of us were just waves crashing on the shore? And you know how when you're on the shoreline, you just see waves, they don't come at the same time, they come at all different times, and they're rising and going back. Well, that's the way movements are, like around particular issues. And that's the way groups are and stuff. But it, but we treat things like it's like, it's like, I start this organization, I start this business, I start this thing, and it has to be that way forever. The old corporate models, that's, it's, to me, it's capitalism, just put on, just put, we put it on ourselves, we made our own jails for it. That's also communist and old political party thinking, you know, that was like, and I'm not trying to kick on anybody, I'm just saying anybody that tries to rid, that, that, again, it tries to become ideology instead of ethics, you yeah, know? Right. And that, like, that was part of, like, the podcast, you know, we, we consider it a leftist podcast, I don't really ever use the term anarchist, because I think it, you know, in that process of becoming more formalized in that way, you start to exclude people that might otherwise pay attention. And um, one of the interesting things is, is that, a lot of the first listeners, because the first eight episodes are on ecology and like how we need to 
fix our food system and align it with the ecological systems, they're like, all right, this all makes sense. And then we twist it to, okay, now our human system should mirror the ecological systems because that's how humanity existed until probably six, eight hundred years ago, whatever. Uh, right, and exactly. Bureaucracy right, got right. on steroids. Yeah. And, and, so, <laughs> exactly. and so that's what I'm coming to realize is what anarchy means is it's it doesn't have to be like the systems that we have in place that we're so comfortable with. It doesn't have to mean those get blown up. But what the anarchy, what sort of anarchism as a concept does is it allows for the status quo to change with the group of people that are living within that system. That's that's what I think. You don't have to ask for permission or ask for leadership or guidance in how to do that. It just happens Absolutely. because that's what needs to happen. Right, right. And and I would say, you know, like for me, like words like anarchy now are just placeholders because it doesn't really matter if people have the same views because anarchy is is much more in a political philosophical schools of thought that's where it comes from it's very european but there's other cultures that have it that don't call it that and it and so i don't get hung up on the words except for when you throw ism on it you know like and so to me like if we called it blue potato this is a joke i've made for a long time like if we called it blue potato i'm okay with that it's just something that's a common point of reference and we have a vague understanding of it and as words are symbols just like all you know like other visual symbols they change over time and they have different meanings even for you know like having this conversation with y'all anarchist we wouldn't have had this conversation 20 years ago we wouldn't have had this conversation 30 years ago because we were still f fighting over red and black anarchy at that at that time it was like there were there, we weren't even thinking about post left shit and stuff nobody was talking about that maybe in you know like little i don't know maybe in san francisco or something but no we're not in the regular world and so i don't get hung up on it and I, and and one another thing is that the difference between isms on anything is that for me is that what with anarchy i don't have to prove anything to anybody i and i'm not trying to convert you and i don't have to be right and so once those things happen, I've had so much power in, in myself when I stopped having to argue with people about things because I was like, no, you're missing the point. You don't see this. You're missing it. I'm like, fuck it. Maybe I'm missing the point. I don't know. What the fuck do I know about anything? I mean, it's the truth, you know, like, but I do. But I think I think approaching things with curiosity and flexibility and thinking about anarchy as being living in dynamic, whereas I think of anarchism as like, I think I just read in black and stuff. I like, I mean, again, we're talking about shorthand and subcultural stuff, you know, but but de definitely in the same way. But, you know, like any any word that you're going to get is loaded. So even choosing the word left is not loaded to you at this moment, but it's loaded to a whole audience that you're not even thinking about. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, again, I'm not parsing words with you or trying to critique anything. I'm just saying, like, I think, I think just, so we would just learn to own what it is that you, that we do and even, and just, and even if you say it, it's just a point of reference that we're holding this word, right? You know, like in science, they use dark matter and dark energy. They didn't say that's what these things are. They're unknown, you know, they're unknown phenomena that they're trying to explain, but they, these, they, these are the placeholder words. Well, why in the fuck couldn't we be like that? Yeah. Right. Why do we have to be as like, everything's defined. The example that I use that's kind of similar is like you can talk to conservatives and a lot of them will agree with you on 90% of things as an anarchist. All my life. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, as long as you don't use specific terms, you'll usually be on board with, like I said, about 90% of things. You know, the, the perfect example for me is I, I come from the trade originally and uh, I worked with a you know, bunch of boomer, white, 
you know, blue collar guys. And they would always tell me about how, you know, when they were kids, it used to snow and it used to be real cold. It wasn't like today. And I'll say, yeah, like climate change. And they're like, no, not like climate change. And I'm like, but you just said that. <laughs> they're like, but that, no, it's not that though. It, it just used right. to be colder and we got more snow. And I'm like, yes, you are agreeing with me until I use the term that has that, <laughs> that immediate reaction. And, right, because, right, because symbols and words are symbols. They just have so many implications to them, right? You know, and, and that's the other thing too, is that we should be clear about our ideas and our values and things like that. And I think, I think giving placeholder words or names to them is, is absolutely fine. But, um, and because again, if you're not trying to convince or trying to promote or trying to, you know, like again, cajole somebody into believing it, it's just your position on it. And that's your understanding at this moment, you know? Uh, but but I've grown up all my life. I mean, I live, I'm born and raised in Texas. I mean, there's conservatives all around me. You know, it's also a libertarian state, big L libertarian. But there's crossover in those spectrums. I mean, a lot of anarchists in Texas and in Oklahoma, um, not Oklahoma, in Oregon came out of Ron Paul. The whole anarcho-capitalist libertarian thing, that's all, that's all really big recently, again, since 2006 and stuff, when Ron Paul ran. So there's all those anarchists that came from a whole different worldview that consider themselves anarchists these days. And I'm sure, I'm like, sure, I don't agree with everything, but I don't agree with everything left anarchists say either, you know. So I want to transition the conversation a little bit. I'm kind of curious how you tie climate change into the work you do and kind of your your perspective. I know we talked a little bit before we started recording about kind of your your long term vision for humanity and uh, (laughs) that you're just indifferent to it. Well, no, no, no. I'm not indifferent to it. The inevitability of it, like for us to think that we're special species uh with manifest destiny however whatever version of it we've got like that is just totally anthropocentric and i was like i just don't agree with it like mammals are having their time and it's like but it's gonna be over someday may not be in five years or 20 years i'm I'm not even i'm not a soothsayer i'm not trying to go well it's all over and we should give up i care about humanity but i i i don't i'm not i can't we cannot we are not going to save humanity I think it's an, a set of ideas that are problematic because when you start to think that that's what everybody else thinks and you end up with authoritarian ideas. That's where I come from on that. Okay. Well, that, that one, that one size fits all cookie cutter solution uh, sort of pops into your head and yeah. you know, the whole savior complex and I got it all figured out. And yeah, we, we yeah, we, we've seen but it the before. Real thing- Oh my gosh, for sure. And I've been that person. I've been that person so many times. Luckily got my ass whipped for it many times. I'm okay with that, you know, like, but because there was times when I knew I was right and all of y'all were wrong, you know, about whatever micro fucking shit we're talking about at that moment. But what, but what's true, the way climate change really is affecting it, whether they want to call it that or not, is that migration is happening at a great breakneck pace. People are not gonna be living on the coastlines in the United States or I'm meaning the coastlines around the world, but I can, I'm gonna talk mostly about the United States because that's where we are, we are. So there's already mass migrations happening. Fires are already forcing m- migrations. We're beginning to, th- so what you're seeing is um, migration uh, levels in the United States, uh, beginnings of migrations levels that we hadn't seen. And it's all climate induced, right? That doesn't, you know, like, 
water shortages. And I think that's going to be, that's going to get to be more and more. The other piece that I think is happening is the balkanization of the United States um, due to um, mostly right-wing media uh, ecosystems and stuff, but drumming, drumming it up. But people, I think you mentioned people are getting into tribal groups and stuff in some ways, you know, they have an affinity and as there gets to be less and less white people owning or trying to control, well, they're going to still try to control the, the world in the United States, but but there's, but as they lose that, the people who don't have any power are going to continue to keep fucking being fascist. I don't think that's over yet. So that's instability that's also going to happen. And then I think that um, that that nothing is static, right? Everything is living and dynamic. And so capitalism is obviously not meeting the needs the needs of the world, not just people on the humans on the planet, but non-human animals and the fucking ecosystems. So the things that that the Anthropocene that we're in right now, where we're we're reshaping the planet is is also a disaster into itself because I'm a big proponent of um, no matter what you do, whether you think it's the best idea ever, it, we all, everything has unintended outcomes, consequences and impacts. Whether you you can't do anything that doesn't have that, not individually, just systemically everywhere. It's just it's just going to happen. So I, I got to ask now, are you familiar with It Could Happen Here? It's um, Robert Evans. He does a series that's about kind of how collapse could happen here. And, he, you know, it kind of focuses on this idea of balkanization and, you know, the, the role of right wing media and the aggressive um, movement towards militias and things like that that we've been seeing the last I don't know, 12 years or so, probably since Obama got elected, I think it really started ramping up before. <laughs> like, no, 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 seriously, like, oh, three. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's when it, yeah. I was, I've been in anti-racist action. I was in it for a long time. So we were fighting fast. There was times we were fighting fast between 2000, 2003. Man, their national rallies, there'd be a hundred people. And that's all the groups doing it. Right. And then about oh, three, we started to watch it rising. Mm hmm. Yeah. And then Obama, it just went into hyperdrive. Right. The when when Obama stuff. happened, I think it got placed into, you know, the mainstream media. Well, two, the, but, the, but two other things happened too: the rise of YouTube and Facebook. And then, which is important because they absolutely were, allowed the pro proliferation of information. And then the rise, rise of the right wing media ecosystems. That was the birth of Breitbart and and uh, Daily Caller and things like that. I mean, like right all around these times during Obama's thing. So so it was just setting the stage for all of this. So, yeah, it's totally, totally, totally there. The reason why I want to bring it up, though, since we're talking about it, is kind of how how do you envision the uh, next, say, like six, seven, eight years going with the way the I, just the way the politics have been in the United States the last, like you said, two decades or so. See, as hard as you're thinking on how to answer this question, I'm thinking about just as hard as how to get a shoulder pad onto a leather jacket so I can live my Mad Max dream that I got going. <laughs> you would, so, so that's a, it's a difficult question because I, I have like, so I've been doing this a long time, about 35, almost 40 years. And this is the first time even though we cried fascism in the past, this is the first era where I feel the least hopeful about things. I still have hope. Otherwise, I wouldn't put my fucking shoes on in the morning. And I don't mean Obama hope, like kind of bullshit, dreamy dreamland. I'm just saying like that, that it's worth struggling to do these things in this larger world that we're talking about. And so I think it's going to be difficult because even if we're able to deplatform 
all the right-wing media ecosystem for however, however that happens. It just goes offline today. The reverberations would still take about 20 years and we're not even close to shutting it down in any kind of way. And they, and they have an outsized impact. So, and then you have uh, a shit fucker who is the biggest mouthpiece of it at all that gives it more oxygen than, than, than any of those people. And he's able to still breathe life into it. And so until that dude is shut up, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's going to stop. And you're talking about the tiny handed orange one. And yep. so and so um, I don't I don't. I, OK, let me say this. Let me say I think it's a dual edged sword. I think it can be it's going to be grimmer in the future for people of color and immigrants and stuff. That's not going to just abate because you got uh, a, a dad president or whatever, you know, because um, we had the ass clown president before there are the people who voted had the ask clown president before but um but um i think that shit fuckery is so much and so pervasive that politics and the platforms and the have just don't know how to deal with it yet and to show the outsized power just give me one second real quick is the the most powerful news outlet on facebook is uh, the Daily Wire with 50 million readers a day. The next Jeez. closest one on Facebook is the Washington Times and New York Post together with 17 million views. Who, who has an outsized influence? And, and, and people are going to go, what's the Daily Wire? That's the question you should ask. And because they are able to flourish on these on these platforms and stuff. And I think that the rise of conspiracy theories is, is going to take a long time too. until the and the platforms don't. And you know, when I'm, you know, everybody, let me explain platforms. I'm talking about YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all of these things. They have no they have no vested interest in really, really capping this stuff, just slowing it down because it keeps eyeballs on their on their ads and all that stuff. They love and so even if it stopped again today, that's what I'm saying. It just is we're going to it's going to take 20 years of reverberation. And so I think for I think it's going to be OK for most people. But I think for uh, large sections of the people, it's going to not be OK. And I think that um, the other piece that we have to think about is that we just had three, three to five hundred thousand people that we just threw forced through military training into wars that they didn't want to go to, that they just are coming back from. And they're armed to the teeth with post-traumatic stress and confused and even if they're just not coming back now but there we have this populace and so and then you have a then you've got gun sellers selling incredible high-powered weapons that possibly shouldn't have been sold you know to, to every person who just said that hey i should have one uh and so so there's all these pieces that aren't going to go away like next week so i think that these reverberations are going to keep happening and instability economic um and 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 of course ecological are not over yet either and so yeah. and they just so so, I, so I don't so i'll say i don't know but i have some fears and less hope about it that's what i would sure. say yeah you just now, pointed out all the demons that yeah. are attacking me on all sides and i have to go to oh, sleep man. tonight so i'm gonna uh, be up for i feel you <laughs> so oh my i'm surrounded yeah well and, and i'll tell you the truth in it like only you guys are the first person i moved out of my house because i didn't want to get assassinated i'm not even fucking kidding or trying to be hyperbolic did about you it. get did you get doxxed at some point as well oh like yeah by, other the, people? by the new york times yeah. Uh, wow. In, in 2011. Okay. It's on the I mean, you can find my address and the photos of my house. It's super easy. In fact, crazy people do. 
and they have in the past. And I don't, and in the past, I didn't want to shoot somebody for showing up at my house. It's a, I was downtown and stuff. And I'm like, please don't come here crazy people. Cause I will fucking shoot you through the door. Right. I won't even, you know, and then I would get death threat letters and bricks thing came through the window and stuff. It stopped and nothing's happened. But then the right wing chatter just before the election started to get bad. And it got so bad that my wife was like, we should just get, get out. And we moved out of our house of 20 years. Damn, Jesus. I don't live in a bunker or anything like that. I'm, I'm, I live fine, but it's just like I'm just saying it's Still, like right. You got to make serious. it hard for the haters. I get it. <laughs> yeah, just the easy ones. I'm not talking about people who are really. Uh, I'm probably just dead if that's going to happen, or any of us are dead if that's going to happen. But I'm talking about just the casual people who think that they're doing right because QAnon. You know, they think that they're doing some fucking heroic thing, and they're just confused. Yeah. Or the right wing media ecosystem has turned me into a you know some kind of demon for having those ideas about freedom. How dare you? Well, exactly. That's what's so crazy about it. You know, I don't call for the exclusion of people or the put down of people. I never, you know, like I just don't want anybody to get murdered because they're, uh, you know, because they're a person of color, or their ethnicity or their religion or their immigration or whatever we want to call any of these things that are qualifiers. You know, that list gets long. I don't want them to be murdered for that. Well, what the fuck is wrong with that for any of us? This is all doom and gloom, but I want to circle back to the beginning of this conversation about this idea of cooperatives, you know, whether or not you want to call them cooperatives, but the idea of being able to tie people together and kind of drive that idea of alignment of common interests, of you know, and how we can utilize that to build community that becomes more resilient to those types of ideas, even with people that might currently have them. And how, how we can utilize the, the core framework of what anarchists believe or anarchy and use that to, to be a, an agent of change and to kind of be a force that we can deal with these issues. You, you ask a lot in that. So, wanna, so you want to pare it down no, a little there, bit? One, yeah. So one, there's no community at all. It's communities. It's overlapping Venn diagrams of communities. Even y'all together and us together, we may cross over in some larger, you know, activist community, anarchist, but that doesn't necessarily mean us. We're in, we might even be the same circle, but you could still be far across the circle and not really be connected because I'm just connected to the two or three or five people that are on my side of the circle. So how are we all going to agree on stuff if we, if, 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 we just have this vague idea of what it all is and clarify clarifying this doesn't make it better so one the biggest thing is recognize there's it's communities of communities that's what we are waves coming to the shore there's multiples and they just keep coming and that you will never have one community and if you did it's boring anyway because then you'd be like the amish or something where you're just like i've got this community of this thing or whatever fucking religious group it is of ideology because that's the only people who are going to be in it and that ideology doesn't have to be religion it can be political it can be uh it can be um intersectional it can be anything that you begin to rid you begin to make the ideas rigid around that and those communities get real small and they they begin to eat their own real fast so that's one thing. So you can't have one community. And if you are, it's going to be small. Even if you know a lot of people, I know thousands and thousands of people, but I have a I have community with less than 50 of them. And then people I absolutely care about is probably 20. I'm talking about like it's circles, you know? And so let's recognize it. And then we all have these things. Okay. So that's one way of understanding it. The second thing is that just having what is largely a political or ethical um, crossover doesn't mean that we all believe the same thing because we are all the products of our histories that bring us to this moment. So if, 
if we all move somewhere, say we all move to, uh, let's say we all move to Idaho together, the three of us, we just met and we we're like, we, we get along in this way. We all move to Idaho together with 30 other people. Well, it's still, there's still so many challenges after the, after the waves have crashed to the shore that have not, have not really been sorted in that. Because if you make activism, which is what, this is the biggest thing I'm gonna to get to is that largely all these conversations that we're having are under the rubric of activism. They're under the larger thing because all the engagements, most of the engagements of, of co cooperatives, branded cooperatives, takes place in two worlds, liberal, liberal world of nonprofits and, and things like that, because it's, it's tax statuses or an activist subcultures. Those are the two kinds of larger cooperative collectives that have, they don't necessarily cross over. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. And so, and, the, and when you're, and when it's the business ones, you know, like, even if it's, if it's the more professional nonprofit, even if they're, you know, whatever, it's a food store, they're not going to be liberatory. They're the least liberatory. So do I have community with them? No, not necessarily. I just engage with them because supposedly they, they fuck people, pe people less than other people, but that's not necessarily always true. Actually, the co-op here in Austin, that's the um, food co-op has fired three union drives in the last 20 years. Um, and so, so I, rec so, rec so coming around the, the, the overarching thing of activism is never going to, is not a community. And that's where we largely in this conversation, because we're having a subcultural conversation, that's where it largely takes place. And you can't do that with even a subculture of that subculture, which is just go like it's anarchists, all anarchists believe these things and, and get there. Cause as you, as we all know, and if you just read the forums, there's a myriad of, uh, and spectrum of views of what anarchy is. And then how to get there and ways and means and all the questions about things and what's most valuable and, and stuff. And so I think that really you have to build things with people and it takes a long time. The biggest, one of the biggest, the biggest problem with Common Ground, the biggest collective I was ever built or was ever part of was that it was the, the beginning was built on relationships of mine. So the people who came were the people I had or people in my network. So we had histories of 20 years and 15 years to build from. But then people came into the larger thing of the ideas of anarchism and activism and stuff, but they didn't have the same values, even if they thought they were anarchists and we had no histories together. So then we have to sit in a meeting with 150 people and try to make a decision about something that is vague or takes a long time in the middle of a disaster. And that was a disaster unto itself. So I think building, I think trying to build activist based subcultural group uh communities is a dead end Agreed. that's just the truth of it yeah yep. so i mean it's it's, it's always going to be and, and let, let, can i just go for one second and this is the overarching thing there's a larger thing that's going on in activist subculture and that's the largest thing over everything i'm telling you it cover colors everything there's very few anarchists who are outside of that uh, you know, like, or, or communists or anything. Everybody has this still, we're all, it's just like capitalism. We're all in it. We don't even recognize it, but it's active, it's activism, whatever that means where, you know, you're, you're asking, you know, you're trying to fight power and do all these things. And so, but the problem is that most people who are drawn to activism. It's, it's, it's a personal growth thing. So, you know, in personal development, um, there's three stages that we all go through at different times, but most people go through their teenage and their early years is that you begin, you grow up and you begin to 
question and reject the things that were brought into your life the whole time. Usually it's religion is the first thing that most people reject. Then it's power and authority in all these ways, okay? So then the second phase of development and growth is where you begin to ask the questions, who am I? What do I want to be? And you try on all these different hats and you try on your sexuality and all these things that are going on. Because, you know, this is, we all go through it. Everybody does. And we, you know, you can go through it multiple times. And, and then the third phase is that once you've tried on all these different hats and been through all these different growth things, you kind of begin to figure out who you are and then you go out in the world. And that's the, the, that's the growth thing. It doesn't happen like in a week or a year. It's, it's years of things that, that this happens. But activism is largely people who are drawn to the first two steps. They are drawn in because they want to reject authority, reject power, reject all these things that are wrong. And it's a great, it's a great way to attract people. But then the second phase is the questions where you're like, well, who am I? And then you see, this is where, where you see microaggressions become out, where systemic things around racism or, or, or uh, gender and sexuality become microaggressions against a person who's sitting across from you because you're still trying to figure out who you are. And so you're trying to argue with them to prove that you are this person or whatever the conversations are, it's all complicated. But, and then by the time most people get to the third stage in political subcultures and anarchist and I mean, uh, activist subcultures is they leave, they leave the movements. That's what happens. I've seen tens of thousands of people leave in the last uh, 35 years. And actually, and the people who stay, either are consolidating power, they moved into cooperatives that are more professional, less, less confrontational things, or they're damaged or they're broken. You know, there's things that happen. It's not healthy because you can't confront all these things again and again and again. And, and so, so if with that, I can, I can, you can never, you can't build community that's sustainable. You just can't. So is your focus or your belief in terms of building community more localized? and it always um, has been always sure. has been and, always networks and outside of the left well yeah that too i mean like i mean okay so like there's there's strategic inter there's there's times when you can str have strategic alliances and there's times when you form coalitions i don't form coalitions because they are fucking sucked because that's where you just give away all your power and somebody you know some group with the lowest common denominator is who what you're part of but strategic but strategic alliances sure that can happen i mean um, you know, like when I was, uh, you know, like if we we're fighting against something like police brutality, there was many people, you know, this cop watch it had been around for 20 years on the left, but then cop blocks started after 2006 on the right or largely on the right. Again, these people who came out of right conservative things that became these kind of libertarian anarchist and stuff <laughs> still developing now, but they had cop block. Sure. I supported that because they were against police brutality and they had enough points, even if they might've been a little more overtly macho about things because, but strategic alliances, I didn't join their organizations and start being, try to be like integrate with them. I didn't try to fucking make them change their organizations. You know, like it, again, it wasn't my job to do that. I was just interfacing with them around these common things like police brutality, abolition of prisons or whatever it was. And so, um, but, but what I really realized is that if, if there's somebody who is not truly a fascist, that they're just confused or they've been lied to, that disasters and, and crisis 
bring out the realities of people more than anything. And that's when you can put that shit aside to work on common good of things. That's when all, that's when the beauty, that's when that, what the Zapatistas call the crack in history happens, where it just opens enough and you're like, oh, let's bust this thing open, you know? And that's when you can actually see people for who they are. Again, I'm not talking about neo-Nazis and people who are extreme ends of things, but people who just may be confused. I've worked with Republicans who, who have people had voted Republican for a lot you know, in the past, you know, not, not more recently, you know, but not, but not on political issues like that. I'm not, I'm not working on voting issues with them, you know, maybe it's housing issues or things like, you know, whatever it would, whatever the things would be food issues. That cracking open of history in that moment, that's where we have the opportunity to obviously rebuild, but that's where we have the opportunity to take all of those things that we learned in hindsight from history and all of the mistakes that say, why does it happen like this? It's an opportunity to, to, to address those things and build and move forward so that hopefully, you know, we're not going to avoid all the problems, but hopefully we'll have new problems rather than the same ones that keep repeating over and over again. But what if we approach it like a scientific method where we, we actually test our fucking things? This is the other thing is that we don't ever test anything. We just build it and we're like, oh, that's the way they built it over and over again. And so we just keep doing it, even amongst radical people like most radicals aren't that radical. They're just radical about one or two things or five things. And they're not very radical overall. That's the fucking truth of it, man. That's that's across the board. It's it's hard to find people who actually want to challenge. But why don't we use a scientific method to actually test this? Like if that doesn't work, why do we keep doing it? Do we just want to feel good? Because it just it creates all these problems. You know, like in, in activist subculture, there's, there's there was a book that came out. Uh, Gene Sharp wrote a book in the 60s called 296 Methods of uh, Nonviolent Action. Well, I can guarantee you any time I speak anywhere in the United States to any group of people, large or small, um, if I say, think of something that has never been done before um, and how you'd make change, they always come up with something on that list. I didn't even make, I didn't make the list. You know, it's like, it's just because we are not, we, we're, we're ingrained in that. It's not because the people are stupid people. It's just that that's the culture that we have within activist subculture. That is the overarching culture. That's, that's what I think. And so I think if you begin to challenge yourself, I mean, dude, like, I mean, truly at the, in New Orleans, this is one of the things that was the most shocking I had to get to is me and the other white guy that was there. Like these people, the white people would just use the N word, like, like crazy over and over again in derogatory ways and then turn around and give their last water or the, make sure that people are being fed that the people they were not not the physical people but the names that they were just saying it over and over again it was totally shocking and i think that's the real world though you know what i mean like and so do i want to just have a sub enclave i'm not saying that i want to be in a group of people that's using the n-word all the time but i'm just saying like if i if i write them off completely then I never get that entree. We never have that entree to figure out what it really is because obviously they wanted to help people also. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. And I would have never even gotten it because I would have just told you the first part of the story is like, man, racism was crazy. <laughs> right. Well, but that's what happens in activist subculture. I'm, again, I'm not even excusing that. So. Right. But that touches on that human element that you're talking about. Yeah. Right? We can all want the same thing, but our lived experiences are going to bring us to those, even though we want to get to the same place, we're going to get there in different ways. Yeah. Right, um, right. And that's something that we need. And when we are trying to put together these communities of communities, we need to allow room for that and, you know, address these issues as they come up rather than letting them build over generations and generations and then having to deal with a problem that has, you know, evolved into something that people can't even identify. Um, address these issues as they come rather than putting them on the back burner and letting it boil over. Right. That, that's something again, that I not, would like to see. 
But again, not also not like sing kumbaya and get along with everybody. Because I the reason I like anarchy is that when I don't want to be in a group, I just go get it. I just go join another group. Right. I, and I, but I don't try to sync the other group. Yeah. So I'm right. With you but on instead, that. instead of trying to draw those hard boundaries, like with bylaws and creating all of those things that you were talking about, where you can have books and books and books on how you know, to how your yeah. values are defined how to but, act correctly in the in this group <laughs> right instead of avoiding that whole thing just allow room for it like allow people to yeah. leave and go to other groups and, and things like that that's yeah. but it's it's difficult to do in real time and in the real world because we're talking i'm sitting here talking about these concepts in a, in a wine closet um <laughs> well, it's, a nice wine closet. it's a nice wine closet but well, that's the i mean that's the other piece that you bring up that's really important is that again if uh, and then you know like using activism as the subculture that we're talking about is the overarching thing that kind of colors all of this not not the not the working outside of groups but the way we define groups or how, what's our community or communities is that most people also when they first come into this have this you know the emergency heart idea which is like i've got to do something my passion and compassion is driving me to change the world well, so everything is super important to them at that moment or and to us at that moment. And so when it's like that, you can't sit down in the wine cellar and have this conversation because you think that you've got to protest this thing. You've got to go stop that thing because they, they to them, they just woke up and they think that oppression just started happening, right. you know, unless they grew up with it and then they'll just want to fight against it. But you know what I'm saying? For mostly white kids, it's like, there's like, oppression's happening. I didn't know it was happening. I got to stop it now. I'm like, wait, we got to have a meeting too. You know, we still got to figure out how we're going to get along, you know, at some point we got it. You got to do both. And activist subculture never allows that to happen because it's always emergency after emergency after emergency. You can, it never stops. One of the biggest challenges I see personally is somebody that I, when I was younger, I was an activist, you know, like a lot of, you know, late teens, early twenties. Stage two. We'll, yeah. t- we'll call it. Yeah. Um, and now yeah. I have kids uh, and all that good stuff, but now you're in stage three. Yeah. <laughs> approaching stage. Yeah. I'm a approaching farmer that stage. tries to give away a lot. Coming of in hot. Uh, um, so one of the things that really, I guess, brings me down, you could say, is like with the, you know, we're talking about this very unique subculture of, uh, leftists, specifically anarchists, and it it feels like we are trying to destroy ourselves sometimes with things like cancel culture. You know, we're talking about the fact that we can, um, find these people and they have their own, you know, perspective and lived histories and things like that. And, you know, how... I always get caught up on this idea of we want to build communities. How are we going to do that if we can't talk about things and understand that people have different perspectives or even just they use different words like you were just saying? Right. Without being all kumbaya, but... No, I think with you, I agree with you like that. I think that we could, like, we all could have this conversation. We could have these conversations, but most people in most activist groups that could not, you know, if you're, if you're doing you know like like last year was blm and, and police brutality like if you're part of that when are you going to when are you going to start to meet people and really start to figure it out because you're going to thing after thing after thing and and i think that it's the that activist subculture and this prob these problems um you can never do it i actually just think you can't i don't even want to try anymore because if you're just coming into movements but you don't even understand all of the things yet and you, and there's so much assumption and stuff and 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 things like like safe spaces and and cancel culture, which I think are spectrums of, of, of things, came out of trying to rectify inequality, not just inequalities, and in, you know, like, I mean, more than that, I mean, you know, like, it's not the word I want to look they for, were, inequalities. That's that, like a cultural ectomy, like they were trying to cut out yeah, all of the bad exactly. parts of what we and have. So, there, so there's 
two things that are going on, that two larger things that are going on within that. One, trying to sort it out in activist subculture. If everybody's in group one and two that you're dealing with, how are you going to do that? They don't know who they are because they might be, you know, they might be a communist one week and then I'm just using these political terms or they might be a, a socialist the next week and then an anarchist six months later. I'm just, I'm trying to be easy about it, but it's like, but you know what I'm saying? Like they don't know who they are yet. And right, they might nothing, be a capitalist nothing is five years from now. Right. But but now you're going to try to have a conversation with them where where somebody is insecure about the things that they are, what they think. And, and so they want to they're not going to be able to have that conversation yet because they don't even know. And, and, and so I just think you cannot. I'm not saying we don't have those conversations, but I think you cannot. And I think that unless we build unless we think about new framings of the thing so I often, I often say that there's like we're more than we're more than voters and we're more than consumers and people are like yeah i'm in on that but also in, we're more than activists and there's all these paths and this spectrums in between that of these paths we haven't even tried to do but we don't even think of it because again we don't test it we never test anything so we end up with shit like cancel culture which needs to happen with larger stuff systemic stuff but not every microaggression that happens against a person and you cannot right because when you say community when you say activist community well fuck man that the people that are trans in that may not feel safe in that you know like or they or, or black folk might not feel safe in that because it's largely white men or something you know what i mean like there's all kinds of things that just haven't been sorted yet that can't be sorted because the only common denominator is that we're against we're against something we don't even know what we're for yet and that's the that's the big crux of it right. so beginning to ask the question what are we for and then how do we want to get there without using the same tools is a thing and the only point of reference i can give you right now is the zapatistas they're the only movement of movements that has even tried in the last 35 years to do to do this to really go, who are we and what, and how do we do it? And how do we reassess this stuff? And they test it. And you know, what's interesting about them is that even if they all don't get along, they live in similar communities in one area. They don't live all over across the country and aren't traveling to different parts of the world to meet and to try to start communities with people. They live where they are. Well, it's also economics too. I mean, we understand that, but I'm just saying like, so it makes it harder when everything is, when, when, to have these conversations, to have to open the to have these openings at all, because people aren't rooted where they are, especially in activist subculture, you know, and stuff or anarchist subculture, which is a subculture of that, you know. It's a yeah. it's a really interesting conversation because every time I have a conversation like this one, I always think of how to take that, you know, activism. You use that word activism, and you even said yourself that as people get older, they leave the group or whatever was started. And how do you take that activism and turn that into your daily life so that you're living that as a lifestyle rather than it just being one of those phases that you pass through. Well, maybe you do go through that because everybody needs to go through something. Some people go through, you know, go to college to, to learn the same thing. Some people, you know, like I think it's just another valid form of just growth. You know, like I think activism is a valid, but look at it like that. At first, let's just call it. That's what it is. It's a place where people can intersect. But the thing is, activism, again, ism, is, is different than being an activist, but you also can't personalize it because I'm talking about systemic things. I'm not talking about any individual problem with any of this, like we can't tweak it. So, so what you do is you, you, you be active in the way that you feel like you can. When I left activism, you recognize I was in since 1985, I left about three or four years ago. I felt like I left a cult. Right. 
I literally, I felt I was leaving people behind and people were dying and stuff. This is the truth. I, I, I went to therapy about it. And this is after I have almost been murdered for these things and all of these things. I felt I was a quitter. I was quitting. Right. And when I left for a long time, I just felt I didn't miss any of it. I began to hate things and reject it so many ways because these ideas aren't brand new. I've been talking about this stuff for 15 years. So, um, but the, but, but I just, felt it so much. I felt like I left a cult. And I was like, why would that? Why would I feel like that? And that's when I really could see it seriously. And you probably can't. And I think people do on a, on a, on a, on a thing. I was just too stupid to leave. I, or we're not smart enough to leave. I was like, ah, sure. It's fine. Everything's good. You know, but it was. To be honest, you seem like a guy that likes to keep busy. So I feel like once you left uh, the, I, I'm doing air quotes, the, the cult, <laughs> you picked up some time for some new hobbies and it sounds like you started a record label. So you're doing just yeah. fine. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm still doing, so being active, like instead of activism, if I want to go to a protest, because I, I, I actually strategically think it's important, I will do that. If I think it's a waste of time, I will also say that. I'll go, well, that's a waste of time for me to participate in that. But if you want to do that at the minimum level, go ahead and do it. But it's not going to change anything for these reasons, just like voting. And I don't not vote and I don't try to kick people for not for voting. I just am like, well, there's a lot of reasons why this doesn't work. Because I worked inside of political parties for a long time. So I know why voting doesn't work. And so um, so again, it's like not trying to kick people or, or be right. It's just my experiences and my, and my reflections of, of, of this stuff. Stuff, you know, unintended outcomes, consequences and stuff. But I, but I, you know, like there was a lot of therapy in that too. And trying to try to sort all of this out because I had post-traumatic stress. I mean, almost being murdered by the police multiple times is fucking and, and just violence in general, flashbang grenades and stuff. And fucking just many times concussion grenades, that shit just fucking, ca I carried it for 20 years. And I just got tired of carrying it, you know? And, um, and, and so it's, and it's not that I hate people that, I, you know, that were part of activism or doing that, but now I can choose how I want to engage in that. And so the record label is for me an, a way to do it because I collaborate with musicians who aren't necessarily anarchists, but that want to support those ideas. I use it as a political platform to spread ideas. I have an anarchy series, an audio series where I have anarchist thinkers that I like. I don't give a fuck what anybody else thinks about them. They're thinking outside of the box. I take their words and I put it over music. I don't do it. I mean, I got a producer that puts it all together, but but then we release them. So I did like Cindy Milstein and Carla Bergman, and I've got one with John Clark and I've done a couple and on different themes. So it's a, you know, I'm going to do one with Seema Lee on, uh, on um, you know, anarchy and black autonomy. And, you know, just a bit, like I did one on liberatory mutual aid. And again, these are not preaching things. These are just things that are cultural things that introduce ideas to people and they're fucking wildly popular thousands and thousands of streams on them it's totally crazy around the world and, and they're in english and i'm like okay but i like it it's just something enjoy, you know or publishing books by the by people that i like you know like this is what this is all part of the record the record label is a media entity even though you, if you look at the site it's just music name drop it yeah plug it uh, emergency hearts so nothing like coming up with a great concept and then just uh, turn it into capital cash. So emergencyhearts.com and that's hearts plural. Take and my so, money. And, and, and try to treat musicians fairly to make sure that they get paid I just bring the ethics to it without trying to carry all the labels or the, you know, like this is the only way that we're going to do this, blah, blah, blah. But still striving for all the ideals and the values and the ethics that, that, that I've carried along all the, all the time. Scott, thanks so much. This has been a great conversation. Uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again in the future. I hope so. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate coming on. Loved uh, reading your book, Setting Sights. Some of the the stories in there, just they they really hit home because it, it's a, a real life example of the issues that we face in this country, but also just the way you write about it with um, being open about 
these are my personal opinions and how I feel about it. It didn't seem preachy or anything like that. I, I just, I, I'm glad I read them and we, we, I really related to them and I'm glad we did the episode on it. So if you haven't heard that, definitely check it out. Well, you're asking like books. Okay. So it's true. I am working on some books. I'm just not writing. I have like six or eight books in the works, but I just don't do them anymore. So I I'm working with partners on to, so we're um, with uh, mutual aid disaster relief, which many of those people came out of common ground and it's a huge network. Uh, we're doing a mutual aid book that is largely like setting sites. So it'll have um, a couple of essays. I, like, I'll have like, a, you know, a, an essay or two in there. And then the rest of it will be drawn from people's histories and stories about, about this, specifically pushing the ideas of liberatory mutual aid, not just mutual aid at the basic cooperation level. And then C4SS is um, the Center for Stateless Society is reissuing my book, Emergency Hearts, Molotov Dreams. And I think they're going to do an expanded edition of that too. So that'll be coming out in the next year and then um and then there's another book i'm, I'm uh, co-working um with chris Steele on which is actually a really deep dive uh into common ground uh the ways and means that we actually did so there'd be like a chapter on medical clinics just how did we do those what are the mistakes that we made not not my words like interviewing people who worked in those each of those projects mm. sure and we just kind of, but, we, but, but I mean, all these books have been, it works for years. We're know, definitely like, so going to pull uh, that book for some research because we have some topics that we're going to touch on. And if it comes out in the next year, you can bet we'll be yeah. quoting you. So I feel like the things that I have contributed, I don't have much more to contribute. And the, the collective armed self-defense, liberatory mutual aid are two of the, two of the major ideas that I have pushed forward in the last 20 years um, to, to where they just got, well, anarchy was the other one too. And I'm not just trying to, take like white guy credit i'm just saying like like these are fucking ideas i put my life on the line to fucking me and other people that have just mainstreamed enough that um that you know i gives me that's the part that gives me that tentative hope uh about about things like okay so people are paying attention to these things because there's times when you know like well well, we presented these ideas like setting sites. Dude, that was like dropping a turd in a punch bowl. <laughs> I, I, I hate to say that, but it totally, it, it, I mean, the, the, talking about guns in 2002 and taking up arms versus where, where we are at now, that's, I mean, that's a long, I mean, the fact that we can even have an open conversation right this second and not be super crazy paranoid is, is a watershed change. And so, so I feel like I, those are kind of elements that I was able to add to these movements and ideas, but I don't have really much else to that because I'm not a, again the super thinker and stuff i'm just somebody who does well the, the lived experience is definitely unique and um we'll keep going yeah. back to that well so if we can have you back on again we definitely will oh i'd love that you guys are great i, I like i like the conversation it's really it's really nice and i really super appreciate it too and thanks for having me on really. yeah no problem thank you thanks for your time as always if you enjoyed this episode please give us a review on itunes which heavily impacts our outreach to new listeners and helps us bring on new and exciting guests we appreciate your support, and we hope you enjoyed this conversation. This is Elliot. This is Andy. And this is the Poor Proles Almanac.